Hello and welcome to season three, episode 18 of Dualistic Unity. I am done trying to figure out what's going on and have been relaxing into the recognition that I am what's going on. And I am likewise not trying to be enlightened. I'm not trying to make you enlightened. None of this podcast is ever intended to imply that you are on a journey to wholeness or a journey to fulfillment. If anything, it's meant to imply that you are already whole and you are already fulfilled. It's just that you are invested in an illusion that is divisive. And all we're ever talking about is how to stop trying to get somewhere and how to let yourself be here. And that's what this is about. And I know sometimes it can get very easy to misconstrue this message as you've got to go through this process of questioning yourself in order to, to discover unity. You're not discovering unity. You're just recognizing what you've always been. It's not a journey to anything more than you already are. So if there is any need there, remove that. Because we're just having this conversation as a reflection of the process of getting out of our own way. This conversation is not meant to get us out of our own way. We're already in the process of doing that. So this conversation is its own point and it should be its own point to you. If you're listening, we're just glad you're here joining us. We're glad you're in process. Don't rush yourself, enjoy the process. Be as enthusiastic about your growth as you can. And that's all you really need to do because the enthusiasm is its own reward. And on that note, on to the quick announcement. One announcement and one announcement alone, the Dualistic Unity quote contest is over. It's all done with. We've had all the quotes submitted. As of tomorrow, they will all be on Discord for a vote by the community to determine who will be the top five winners. Those winners will, of course, receive some Dualistic Unity merch for free. So we're very excited about that. If you didn't get a chance to participate in this contest, don't worry, we're going to have a lot more contests coming up. As we mentioned in season four, which starts at the beginning of December, we have a lot planned. There's, there's another episode coming out every week. There's a lot more live shows happening. We're going to be on Twitch and YouTube. Don't worry, there's going to be plenty of opportunity for you to get some free Dualistic Unity merch and even participate in the community. That all said, we will continue with the episode and introduce our guest. We're very excited to have him here today. His name is Nino. He is a poet, a musician, a TikTok creator. He talks about authenticity. He talks about spiritual insight, and he really talks about being grounded through the process of our own growth. I like the fact that he often takes spiritual concepts that are sold at face value, and he tears them apart and looks at what they actually are made of and what some of the dangers of not questioning them might be. I love the fact that he is consistently looking beyond the spiritual ego to the reality that's behind it. So without any further ado, Nino, thank you for joining us. I will, of course, leave all of the links to your uh, social media and YouTube in the description below this video after the fact. But if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, how you ended up on this path, and what makes you so enthusiastic about everything that you do currently. Uh, thank you so much for that uh, very generous description of myself. Um, how did I find myself here? How am I so passionate about this? I have always been interested in characters in the human condition. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a Jedi. And my dad quickly broke that dream down and said, that's impossible, but you could be an actor. And I very quickly and from a young age just became interested in the idea of putting myself in other people's shoes. I was almost obsessive about this. And there was a few characters throughout my life that always I gravitated towards. But the main part of this process was recognizing that I was 
not like solely myself. And it, it was very weird from a young age grappling with identity and already sensing that it was loose, that it wasn't as rigid as was being suggested. And it wasn't until I started using psychedelic substances at a younger age that I would encourage for other people. But in the West Coast, I guess that's how we did it. And they very quickly started to dismantle, I guess, rigid ideologies and frameworks of which I understood myself. But this was all very private in my life. It wasn't something I cared to share because I was still very conscious of myself, the ego and the identity of which I had created. And that identity didn't want to not fit in. So I kept all my thoughts and ruminations to myself, but I kind of continued on this personal little endeavor of spirit, soul, what else might be out there. And when I was 20, I guess like a year ago, like 24, 23, I just started to feel like I could put some stuff online. And maybe this came, honestly, this probably arose from a bit of resentment and a little bit of frustration, but it was because, like you said, I started to recognize that what was being sold online was what I had become when I was 18 and I had struggled with for a year, which was a spiritual ego, a menace of sorts of which I did not want to fucking see, sorry, that I did not want to see, I don't know, become bigger in this world because I know what it's like to think you got the answer, you, oh, I can do no wrong because I read Eckhart Tolle's A Power of Now and The New Earth, and I understand you're all just ego-minded monsters. It is me who's become enlightened. You cannot tell me different because I know words like uh, uh, metaphysical. And thus, out of that frustration, I kind of was like, this bullshit. This is all bullshit. And I'm going to call it out with compassion. And I started to kind of just make content online, and I didn't know really what I was doing. I just knew... I needed to express what was authentic to me around like the expression of the inner child while also dismantling things that I can just already see the flaws in. Because if there's one thing about me, I don't have any accreditation, no real accreditation, but I have made so many mistakes. I am full of flaws and imperfections and mistakes. And these things have served as incredible lessons of which I hold dearly. And maybe yes, in my own egotistic way, I believe now that this has given me some degree of authority to, or at least some degree of passion to speak about these topics that we're now kind of currently engaged with them. That's amazing. <laughs> I love, I love the way you expressed all of that. It's funny, like, you know, cause I, all I have is my journey to refer to and, and I came into creating content, like not even having come into contact with the spiritual ego in a way, like I had very much not gotten that deep. Like I was very much on the surface of, you know, like the self-help world. When I started creating content, I had experienced things in my life, struggled with stuff, suffered through things, found some things that helped me. I eventually got to a point that I was able to sort of overcome that fear of what other people would think of me enough that I could put myself online and just start sharing things that had helped me, but it wasn't necessarily from a place of authority at all, or even very deep of recognitions. They were, they were very much surface level. So it's interesting that you kind of went through that experience that, and then started posting out of a, I don't want to say like, you know, disgust or anger of what you were seeing, but almost like a step beyond where, at least for someone like me, who a lot of people where they start at gets into it. And so I think throughout my time here, on, you know, social media, posting content regularly, like I've had a journey and sort of like gotten into that while I was posting and then let go of that. And it's funny, the balance of going in almost feeling like there were, there have definitely been lots of points where I was like, holy shit, I figured 
I figured it out. Like, you know, when I got into heavy into gratitude, I was like, I just have to be grateful and, and everything's good all the time. And even when I get down, I can just be grateful for, you know, a couple of things that I, then I feel good and then it's all great. And it's like, holy shit, I got it all figured out. And, and so going into that so long ago, when I was so lost in illusions of, of identity and, and the, the story of Andrew being the truth. And so now I have so much less certainty or so much less certainty that I hold on to. Like there's, there's almost none, like I'd never know anything. I don't know what's going on whatsoever, but I've recognized more clearly, you know, as I said in the very intro that I am what's going on. And so with that uncertainty comes a lot more freedom and a lot more passion and willingness to just express and, and be the moment as opposed to holding on to concepts, trying to explain it. And I guess it's like that shift from the conceptual to just the raw recognition, which isn't something you can even hold on to because it's always coming and going at the same time. So like, I guess with your sort of content journey, has there been, I'm sure like microcosms of that getting into it, like early on, maybe, you know, you were sharing things out of a certain sort of passion and then energy coming from that. Has there been a letting go of that sort of, I don't, I don't want to say anger or disgust with what you were seeing, but as you've been able to let go of that more and more, that sort of energy, have you found like other sort of energies to keep you going and, oh, and yeah. influence? Oh yeah, of course. It's like, what drove me to want to say something? And this is my story of my entire life. I've always been the annoying kid in the class. who's like, that's wrong. Or that sounded silly. Or like, and I just, uh, I got a big sense of self clearly, and I have to say my piece, but then when you start creating and there's obviously feedback and you get humbling, humbling responses that make me like, whoa, I didn't recognize that like sharing a life lesson regarding, you know, reframing my relationship with my parents would make somebody genuinely feel like they can trust in me about their personal lives and open up to me knowing that I don't know shit about their personal lives or, or anything like that. And it's what you said kind of earlier, which you, you start having this realization. And I think, I think a lot of people do in this little spiritual journey of our lives, which is, I don't know anything and I can never really know the true nature of the universe through the rationalistic mind. And I've had enough crazy experiences through yes, psychedelic means that have only served to reaffirm this idea that <laughs> you'll, you won't figure it out by trying to figure it out. That's the, that's the way you will never figure it out. And that's why you keep trying to figure it out to drive yourself insane. That's why the philosophers go crazy because they keep trying to figure it out, but that's cool. It's fun if you treat it for fun intellectual purposes as a, as a practice in intellectualism, more power to you. But I had to start letting go, Andrew, of the idea that I was going to be able to rationalistic, rationalistically be able to understand the conceptual nature of the universe, its laws, all of its paradoxes, all of its ways of being. And then I could be the guy, I could be the regurgitator of that information. And I think it's because at first, I just saw enough people doing, making clear mistakes, so to speak, that I felt, okay, well, this is wrong because this is coming from a place of need or want or, well, that's clearly going to lead people down a destructive path because they're never going to be able to see themselves as a the potential problem. You know, the obvious is obvious. Great. But at a certain point you go, yeah, but you also have to sit in your own humility. And this is where I've kind of come to now, which is I am like the guy of nuance. I'll always, I'll say my spiel. And then immediately after, sometimes at my own harm, I'll be like, 
However, I could be totally wrong. I am just saying this insofar as it feels, feels right at this moment. I would have absolutely no problem though in, as from an ego level. If I died today and tomorrow, it turns out it was, it was the Christian God. It was some deities. I don't care. I'm not upset by it. I'm not attached to any potential conceptual idea that I might have about how this universe operates. I'm not really too attached to it. But what I am frustrated by as an individual is people who feel like they know the answer and then they tell everyone this is the way and the only way. There is no bridging of, of sides. Continue pushing up this divisive reality, this illusory paradigm. And to that, I think, I don't know if that frustration is going to leave. And I, Andrew, to be honest, I don't want it to. I think the moment, I'm a bit into, I'm really into like Buddhism. There's two ways to become enlightened, so to speak, the path of the Buddha and the Bodhisattva. The Buddha is, you know, you free yourself of all desire. You can sit under a tree. You're enlightened. Good for you. I have always had a problem with that. I thought that was a selfish way of being. I always, I, I used to study this stuff and be like, what? They became a, just a monk with all this wisdom that they could be helping people, but they don't have a desire to help. And that's true. And then there's actually contention because it's the path of the bodhisattva, which in theory, this is also taken from Alan Watts, is the person who's on the path towards enlightenment, so to speak, and then goes, wait, but you know what? I'm okay to suffer. I wouldn't mind suffering because I have a desire and that desire is to help people. And I don't actually want to get rid of that desire because I would rather help people and live in the world of suffering and the karmic cycle, so to speak, in the drama, as long as I might actually get the chance to help uplift others from their suffering and you know raise them out of that, so to speak. In my own personal journey, I guess I've become identified with the, uh, with the role of the bodhisattva. And I don't mind that identification. I'm like, because for me, I have the means of which to, I could live a very solitary life. And I'm sure that I could find some inner peace in that and kind of, you know, way of the Buddha. But I don't know, there's this human, there's this human element to me, this nature of being connected to other people, this obsession I've had with the human condition, which I think comes from a place of empathy that makes me see like that when I see the world as it is, which is clear to me, lost, people are lost. People are sad. People are heavily identified with religion, politics in the most divisive and clearly self-harmful manners to which I cannot sit and go, this doesn't bug me at all. I am the awareness and I'm cool with it. I go, no, 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 no. This bugs me too much. I'm sorry. I would rather see people. I'd rather spend my time and energy trying to put ideas out that might help them as they help me. And even if that causes me to, you know, take part in the karmic cycle of drama and the, you know, I don't mind that at all. I'm kind of, and maybe this is because I wasn't, you know, grew up as an actor. Maybe some part of me kind of likes the drama. I don't mind being in the drama as long as, because I don't get attached to it. And that's also something I have to recognize as privilege, I guess, which is like, I have a very insensitive mind. I'm a very insensitive person in the, in the aspect that I can talk about race, religion and gender and class and everything. But I, I like rarely will get offended by anything, even when the thing is perhaps insulting to some nature of my reality. I don't take it personally, but I have to recognize a lot of people are still caught under those paradigms. And, you know, you have to be very mindful and very careful around how you do it. So like, so go back to answer your true question. I've had to become much more empathetic in how I handle this, because if you just go around going, you're stuck in a rigid dogmatic ideology that's only going to serve you this. You're only thinking that you're the, 
you're not going to make any friends out here. You're not going to, you're not serving as the man, Jesus Christ. You know, you're not spreading love and wisdom or unity. You're going to divide people further through your arrogance. And, and I've had to be very, very cautious about it because I think being passionate can very quickly turn into arrogance when, and that's something I have to recognize for myself. Yeah, it doesn't help when they're still bothering you either. I went through that for a long time. If you look at back at my some of my older videos from 2005, I definitely had uh, an axe to grind when it came to snake oil salesmen and the people who would tell you like, we have an answer. Here's the answer. This is the answer. And it's like, there is no answer. All there is, is a deepening, deepening state of questioning. There's just a deepening state of awareness. And the more you try to give me answers, the farther from that awareness I'm getting. And it used to drive me nuts. And to some degree, it still does. But over time, I think I've learned to temper it, not, not for their sake, but for the sake of being better at communicating with those people. And it's very difficult to find those opportunities to connect with somebody who is that selfish when you vilify them. It's difficult as it is. But when you have an, when you have an issue with them, it's way more difficult because then you're trying not just not just to get past their ego, but yours, right? And so over time, I think my edges have softened considerably, um, but none of the enthusiasm, none of the, of the passion for saying something. It's just that I'm not saying it for the sake of defending the world. I'm not saying it for the sake of, of saving people. That's a big thing that, that's passed for me over time is that there is anything to save. The world, is the way it is because we've been trying to save it because we've had so many goddamn answers and concepts and, and, and paths to victory and all that other shit. And everybody's just arguing over who's right. And this is the world that we have. And so I think accepting what we are, accepting where we are and finding a way to connect that way is the only way this is organically going to turn around. It's funny because I had no less than three conversations in the last three days with aspiring coaches and what was interesting about those conversations is that they all revolved around the same insight, that it's not about the concepts, it's not about the answers you have, it's not about being perfect or knowing everything, it's about admitting that you don't. It's about being as real as possible and authentically just being in a relationship with somebody for the time period that they are with you without any need, without any, manip any manipulation just being together because that's where that process really kicks into gear when you have the space to really kick it into gear. But everybody in coaching thinks like, no, I got to be able to tell them what the answers are. But that's not going to help them. It's not going to help them. You can't learn from somebody else's mistakes. I wish you could. I, and I'm a parent. I wish people could learn from other people's mistakes, but that never worked for me. And it rarely works for anybody or at least not anything more than conceptually. Right. When there's peer pressure, when there's stress, all of a sudden, all of that conceptual knowledge goes out the window into confusion. Right. And it's like, oh, what am I going to do? And you're going to do the exact opposite thing that you should do because you're not thinking clearly. So it's never about giving answers. It's always about deepening sensitivity. It's always about deepening awareness. And I think that as long as you are deepening your awareness, you are automatically embodying it and automatically spreading that to other people who interact with you. Mm. And one thing I liked that you said was that it's the humility that comes when people contact you and say, wow, this is really helpful. Like what you're saying to me is really helping me along because I can use that. I can do something with it. I'm using it, not you're doing it. I'm using what you put out there. And what I loved was that your reaction was humility. 
It wasn't like, yeah, that was me putting that, those answers out there. It was, wow, what a, what a wonderful thing to be able to serve that role of just being, I guess, the scenery for an insight to come out of for that person. Because that's all we're ever doing is learning from one another. And I think that that's the best relationship we can have is just to allow ourselves to do that. So all that said, the question that I, <laughs> the question that I have for you is, as you continue along this path, as you get older, and, and I know you've been on this path for a few years now, and, and again, your, your ridges are going to start to soften a bit and whatnot. Are you planning on, on doing more in terms of like maybe public speaking or, or reaching out to people in terms of one-on-ones? And, and I know you don't want to take that, that mantle upon yourself. I'm not asking you to feel like you're an authority on anything whatsoever, but because you are out of your way, because you are working on getting out of your way, just you being there could be a help to people. So I'm just curious as to how you're going to embody that going forward, if you've even thought about it. I think I think I have thought about it a lot. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people who I know who are coaches see, see my current situation and think, oh, if only I had what you had, I'd be making so much money because you have an audience that cares. And I've, you know, they've said all this to me. You have an audience that cares about what you have to say. And, you know, they're looking at you, man. All you'd have to do is like, just sit there with them and you don't have to teach them everything. All you got to do is just help them get to here. You know, the truth is they're obviously projecting themselves into my situation because they would like to make more money than they're currently making. And they see my situation as a money-making opportunity. If I wanted to make money, I wouldn't have, coming to the arts and making music and stuff. I don't, it's a privileged perspective to take. I understand, but I, I'm not, I don't give a shit about, about chasing money. Money will, that's, that'll come. I'm very confident in that respect. Um, I also bartend a bunch, so I can just do what I do. Um, but when it comes to that, I struggle to be honest, Ray, because I have, as the name implies, El Nino, I do focus a lot on like the expression, the connection and the healing of the inner child. And I have a lot of wounds from my life and trauma. Um, I just like my life has been painted with a lot of grief and, you know, I've just lost a lot of family members like, from a very young age up until like this summer, uh, just some, like just whatever tragedy you can imagine. Like, how could someone die? It's like, I've, I've experienced them all and it's sad and it sucks and it's tough. And it's something that I'm dealing with. I'm like currently dealing with this. I am unpacking this as I speak. And Andrew, this isn't a critic to what you often push, but it is kind of to provide nuance. A lot of your content is always like, I realized I am everything. I'm aware we like the division is separate. And that's all true on a fundamental level. But what's also true is that your individual experiences are going to shape your behavioral patterns and your psychology cannot just be separated. You cannot just show up presently and think that, Aha, by being present, this is what I did for many, many months. If I'm just always here and just always using these tools like meditation to be present, then I never have to deal with my, my past trauma because I can just, I can circumnavigate them. I can spiritually bypass that. Boom. What you're really doing is you're actually adding another layer of unconscious processes that are not going to rule over you. You're actually not, you're not opening up your awareness as I convinced myself I was. I was leaning into a, a darkness, a shadow that I could just unconsciously, I could be here, but I was ignoring what was clearly had happened in my life. So to go back, it's hard for me to imagine myself in this current moment, like, I don't know, being a coach for other people when I'm like, damn, I, I need therapy. Like I, I need, I'm dealing with some stuff or to see myself doing that. 
but that's in this moment. In this moment, I'm very focused on like just putting out hopefully meaningful, valuable content online, continuing to write poetry and make music as they serve as therapeutic tools for myself. And hopefully that provides a little value and I can grow this brand El Nino a bit. But in the future, I honestly see myself very much as an actor and a writer. I'd like to be able to continue to write out scripts as I do, but longer form scripts that hopefully, that hopefully, because at the end of the day, humans are storytelling creatures and we connect through narrative structures. And of course, this is true. And it is also a, can be a bit of a flaw or hindrance when we get caught under those narrative structures for everything. For instance, you know, the idea of who Andrew is, who Ray is, who Estevan or El Nino is, these narrative structures can become dogmatic and toxic, especially when we have trauma or, or bad beliefs. For instance, I believe, and this is kind of sad, I believe I'm unworthy of love. I, I have these feelings of shame and stuff that arose from, you know, early childhood trauma or the way that my parents spoke to me, whatever, whatever. It's for me to unpack with my therapist. But the point is these beliefs that I think a lot of us have from our early childhood trauma are reenacting themselves unconsciously in our lives. And I want to be able to first deal with that in my own way and through art and hopefully through the artistic lens, help people connect with that. And I think right now, a big part of our culture is stuck between two common wounds, like uh, the wound from the father and the wound from the mother. It's the most obvious. And this all comes from like a lot of Jungian psychology. My background is in psychology and university anyways, and I read a lot on it. And it's clear to me that a lot of us in our relationships and in our personal lives as myself are reenacting the wounds or the unconscious behavioral patterns from which we first experienced. For instance, if I felt like my mom doesn't love me, she, I'm a burden to her, well, then I have to seek out love and that validation from anything else, specifically other women, right? And I'm reenacting that unconsciously, or I was for a long time without recognizing it. So even if, so for me, I feel like as an individual, I really got to work on my own personal healing and development before I, before I feel totally confident, empowered to start helping other people potentially through one-on-one -on -one conversations or coaching. Although I maybe sometimes I recognize, well, man, you're being a little hard on yourself, you know, like you're, you're selling yourself short, but you are. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just want you to know you are, but I do want to touch on something quickly and I'm sorry, because normally I would pass this over to Andrew, but I, I, I need to say this because it's important. What you were saying about being present can essentially be equated to spiritual bypassing. And I'm, dis I'm going to disagree with you. And the reason I'm going to disagree with you is because so often we end up in this place where we do nothing but think about ourselves and our narrative and all of the reasons that, that we think about ourselves are all embedded in there in layers, all of the past trauma, it's all in that narrative. It's all there and it's wrapped up in our body. What we don't do is be present. There's no balance in terms of being actually in reality. We get so caught up in our head that it actually becomes its own, its own form of psychosis. And so when we do first start hearing, be present, yeah, it feels like you're leaving all of your past trauma behind, but you're not. You're not leaving it behind where it's not getting dealt with. It's still processing. It's still processing, but what you're doing is allowing it to process without making it worse. And so what I find interesting about your own story, and I know this was true for me because I went through the exact same thing, Am I just ignoring my past? No, because it was still there. That's why it came up. That's why all of a sudden you're like, whoa, 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 I got to address some shit because it keeps popping up. But had you not spent the time out of that narrative, you wouldn't have found the clarity to notice that insight and dive back in willingly. 
So it kind of goes in, 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 in an oscillation like everything else. Sometimes you have to be present. Other times you have to look at your past, right? And it's because it's, it's enriching your appreciation of the present in the same way that the present is enriching your appreciation of the past. They work together. Right. You so have to do the work then. That's you have right. To do the work. That's why it, on this podcast, especially, we always encourage people don't just listen to this. Go and be uncomfortable. Go and get in the shit. Go and meet somebody you've never met. Go to a, 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 you know, an event that you've never been to. Take up something you've never tried because when you're challenged, you're, all your triggers come up, all your past narratives come up, all your old reactions come up, and that's when you can deal with it in the moment, in the present. But you need to be able to get that that sense of balance on the tightrope before people start throwing shit at you. There's right? the nuance, eh? There's the yeah. nuance. It's, we always have to show up presently engaged, right? Like, okay, that you're right. Wrong of me to the way I structured that or frame that. But we also have to take present time. I think what I wasn't doing, be alone in your own presence and then work through your emotions, feel them. I think for myself, anyways, I came to spirituality very intellectually. I came at it at like, at least like the, the thinking of it. At like 18, I read A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. And then I started reading philosophy. And then I started really, and I was just thinking my way through things. So then I, I would learn to be present here and there. I started meditating like seven years ago. You know, you get present. But the moment I was alone, I would just think, I would just think through every, okay, now let's think about my life. Let's think about those things. Mm, yep. Just no sitting. There was no actual, like, aside from the meditation, the moment I'm alone, it's let's think, let's think. I'm a big thinker. I'm so smart. Look at me, everybody. I know how to think very well about things and let me speak about it because I know how to talk well. And it was like, I was fooling myself and everyone around was like, wow, he, he's got his emotions under check. I'm like, nope, I can just talk about them. I just know how to talk about them very well. And isn't that so, so telling of me? And in my personal life, I was struggling. You know, how did I actually deal with the emotions? The moment I was alone, is any, anything that I could do to not feel the emotion in my moment alone, that's what I would do. But then around people, look at me, look at the presentation I can give you of me showing you me having worked through the emotion. Isn't this good? Don't you like the performance I'm providing for you? It's good, isn't it? And, and it's crazy because that's the thing. If you're good enough at performing, which I guess I am, you can affirm the like you can affirm the illusion that you're doing the work, and that's that's what I'm trying to. I see these creators online, which are clearly like, yeah, I'm like they're artistic folk, and I think I'm like I see myself in them, and I'm like you're just talking through your shit, you're not actually working on it, and they're the people who their advice online is like, you don't. The first part is always good. You don't have to get caught up in the past of who you were. I'm like brilliant that's great and the next part is so just like don't feel it and like you know there are these good ways and we just have to be positive i'm like oh my god that's terrible you're going to repress your emotions to the unconscious realm in which they're going to have way more of a grip hold on your life oh you know that's i guess uh, i'm still i don't think i'll ever lose the edge of like uh oh i see where that goes because i made that mistake and you know what it cost me a lot and it cost some of my friends, their lives, unfortunately. And it caused some family members, their lives to be caught in that unconscious living, you know, that very like, let's suppress a certain, let's compartmentalize a very real aspect of the human experience, your emotions. I'll put that here. Great. And I'm just going to think, and then I'm just going to meditate. And these things will help me. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You got to still feel shit. 
if you don't feel shit, you're going to, you're going to do something like something in your behavior will become enacted. And whether that's, you know, having sex without care, which, you know, on the surface seems like one of the better ones, but, you know, using drugs or treating people poorly, you know, abusing power when you, when and where you have it. I just, I know that people are wanting to escape their emotions because a lot of us are traumatized and that's okay. But I just cannot, I do not want to allow us to stop feeling. And sometimes the spiritual community says certain things that makes me believe they're afraid of feeling. And I see the same thing in like alpha male community as well. And I just always have to, I always lean back and go, but guys, the part of being a human. And if you want to like believe in the reincarnation thing, which is fine. If you do, it's always fun to believe in these things. You chose to be a human and feel these things. The human experience is, yeah, right. Yeah, the 5D, the ascended seed warriors person. It's cool. But if you chose to be here, you got to feel the whole thing. If you're just, oh, no, I can't feel that. That's a negative emotion. That's a low vibrational thing. It's like, oh, God, like you've become, that's no different than when the Christians told you that these things were sins. And this one was part of a, uh, that's, that's what the Gentiles do or don't do this, whatever. You know, the point is, you're just starting to prescribe a new set of rules of which have no true objectivity to them. They are your subjective, you know, reality projecting itself into the world and whatever. If they make you feel comfortable, I don't mind if people lie to themselves, but just be honest that you're lying to yourself. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm all for people who are wisely ugly in front of everybody who, who can like, who can bear their nakedness. And, I, and that's what I try to do online to show I'm not perfect. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not currently sober. I make plenty of mistakes. I am human unto thou. I am still going through this experience as, as to you, but these are some things that I've started to grapple with and hope, and they've actually improved my quality of life. And it's made me feel like amazing. I don't want to kill myself. That's incredible. I used to want it. That was a sad moment. You know, there, I used to deal with this. I used to be extremely anxious. I used to use a Xanax to deal with this stuff seven years down the road of this little thing. I'm like, I just meditate. It's incredible. There is real tools and paths out here where I just engage in the moment. I don't fear what these people might, how they may or may not perceive me because I recognize they are me. They're a reflection of me. And any judgment they cast onto me is really their own problem. It is never my problem to deal with. You know, as long as I obviously make the effort to move through love and not cast judgment and really share my truth, so to speak, with humility, what do I have to worry about? You know, the anxiety and the depression and all that stuff can take a back seat and then I can deal with the true day-to-day -day human shit, you know, which is fine, which I'm not trying to tell people you're not going to deal with. That's what I don't like when people go, yeah, like there's going to be this answer, like this big thing's coming. Just wait, I have it for you. You just keep buying my books. You keep buying my coaching programs and I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you the, there's no thing. There was never a thing. It's like you said, but you keep going through this. And if you spend enough time, you realize the thing was when you just stop looking for it. When you stop looking for the thing, you got the thing. And that's annoying because it's the guy who always wanted to look for the thing. What the? F yeah, I wanted a thing. I wanted the answer so much. You don't know how bad I wanted when I did DMT and I interacted with those beings, so to speak. You know how badly I wanted them to be like, well, here it is. That would have been great. Instead, I got shot back here. And I went, oh, shit, you, you'll never get it. And that little feeling or entity, entity that left went, that's the point for that.
I was never going to get it. And if I was to continue, and I'm very lucky for the DMT experience, had I continued in my life the way I was up until this, this was like a few months ago, I would have continued to make content thinking, I'm going to be the guy who gives people the answer one day. I am going to find the answer if I just keep looking. I am going, and that is the mind, so to speak, at least in some respect, of an addict. That is, that is, and I think a lot of us in the world, like this addiction, this, this dopamine, this, if we just get one more thing, make it this much easier, this much faster, I'm going to figure it out. We're going to get there. There is nowhere to be. This is the moment. This was the arrival. This was the answer. But unfortunately, it's not enough for a lot of us anymore. And that's really sad. It is sad to see that we don't, this isn't enough. For a lot of us, we sit here, we're uncomfortable, we're restless. This, I could use some weed, I could use something, some women, a distraction. And I do have to, you know, this is where I was, I mentioned this earlier before we started recording, where I am currently reconciling this issue of what is making it harder for people to sit and just be present. Well. Technology definitely doesn't help because our attention or ability to be aware in a moment is being split in a million different directions. One of which is obviously online on TikTok or phones. Now I'm creating content on a platform which inevitably is probably shortening our attention spans and perhaps making it harder for us to actually, and this is ironic to say, engage with the present, aka just do nothing. <laughs> so that's something I'm I struggle with, right? Because I want people to feel comfortable being here with me. Like, just be here with me. And, I, and this is my real life. I'm, I'm a big eye contact guy. I try to smile. I try to bring people to the moment with me. But people are uncomfortable. Not everybody wants to be in the moment. It's very nice being in here. I remember being in here when I was younger. It was my safe place. It was when people made me mad and frustrated or my parents were mean to me. I could go in here and me, 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 me. Screw everybody else. I'm smart. I don't need them. Right? And it's a nice place. In there. And I think I'm calling for people. Come on, come out of there. Just be with me here. I promise I'll try not to judge. Like it's always, it's always, an, <laughs> I'll try, you know. Uh, but yeah, that's a, I don't even know where I started with this. <laughs> okay. That <laughs> happens more uh, often than you may think on this podcast. We just keep going. But that was, that was all beautifully said. And I have a lot of, different thoughts about all of it. I think one of the first things I want to just mention regarding emotions is there was a quote in one of your videos that I wrote down. Um, and you said it was about, um, like alpha male mentality. I think it started out with it with like that alter ego guy you play where, and then it spans to like the guy watching the video of the guy and it starts out and you're like, Oh, it's just another one. Like, this is like an Andrew Tate knockoff. And then it's like, you start talking about it and it's really cool. I do really enjoy those videos, but you say, uh, become so good at feeling your emotions that they no longer control you. And I think that is so much of, of the path that we experience is it's not the suppression of it. It's not the avoidance of it because that's all rooted in fear. It's the ability to look at anything, to do anything, to, to act in any sort of way, to fail, fall flat on our face, but not judge it. It's like that extra layer of it that that becoming comfortable with whatever the situation brings allows for us to work through those things and and so much of what you just said i think aligns a lot with i know rail already clarified but i did want to give my piece on the on the letting go of your past and and whatnot because i think any time that you're holding on to the past it's always going to be through a narrative through a story through the idea of you that you hold on to and you keep 
reinforcing constantly. And so as Ray already mentioned, it's finding that balance and finding that ability to be present and, and sit here and recognize that all of those stories and ideas that you hold on to, be it traumatic experiences or enjoyable experiences, are all a part of the illusion of you. And they're not actually the truth of what you are. So even if it's through, you know, years of therapy or working through whatever it may be, eventually you get to the point that, oh, all of those things I was holding on to wasn't actually what I am. And and even the idea of being present or being, you know, grounded in the present, it's like you've never left. And that's where the confusion comes in. Like you are the present. Like that's all you've ever been. You can't not be present, even when you're on TikTok scrolling for hours. You know, we get caught up in thinking like, oh, I'm not present because I'm not doing this thing that we define as being present. But that's part of the illusion too. I think that we get caught up in a little bit is thinking that, oh, if I'm not doing this specific thing, that's the right way to be present, then I'm not being present. It's just recognizing that within that and, and being truly free is recognizing that I'm always present no matter what I'm doing, no matter what I'm, I'm holding on to. And so as we are able more and more to let go of, of the stories, of the ideas that, that keep us from, that we do our best to like cut us off from the rawness of being reality here and now, it, it continues to get brought in to each moment in a way that sort of defines our experience. And so I think that's what I'm talking about typically when I'm talking about letting go of the past is letting go of, of the story of the narrative. It's not to say to suppress anything or anything that comes up as those experiences come up in the moment, face them because nothing you ever feel is wrong. Nothing you ever say is wrong. Nothing you, you ever experience is wrong. It all just is. And it's our idea that, you know, this thing is wrong and this thing is bad and I shouldn't feel this way, or I shouldn't be doing this thing. It's like that extra layer of judgment about what we're experiencing causes a lot of our suffering. So as we're able to see all of the emotions, the entire spectrum as potential, as capable of being felt without the additional fear on top of, of feeling it and being able to, you know, experience that anxiety without labeling it as this bad thing that we don't want to experience or this other emotion that's coming up from our past, be it, you know, wherever it may come from, the reality of our experience is that emotion in the moment and being able to see it for what it is, sit in that discomfort, be like, there is nothing wrong with this. It is okay. That allows it to pass through us and, and start to go away as anyone who's gotten into any sort of, you know, Buddhist or meditation based practices will, will recognize is it's not, the avoidance of anything. It's not the suppression of anything. It's the ability to feel and experience everything without the additional layers of, of judgment of, I should be doing this. I shouldn't be doing this. I should be feeling this. I shouldn't be feeling this. And so it always comes down to our experience here now, because it's all that we've ever been for all of eternity and, and ever will be. So that's where the change occurs in the moment. It's not, you know, necessarily looking back and, and trying to figure out what happened. It's as they arise into, you know, the reality of what we are right now, facing them and, and letting them go. Not to say that the process of looking back isn't a part of that eventual process of seeing it for what it is now. But I think, you know, eventually we get to that point, the means of getting there, there is no right or wrong way to do it. But eventually it's that recognition that any idea of the past, any story we've ever told ourselves is not the truth of what we are. And as we hold on to that, we're, we're holding on to the perception of division, the illusion of duality and, and believing it's the truth. And 
eventually, you know, we get to the place where we let that go, be it in this lifetime or, you know, at death. <laughs> That's well said. I just want to add something quickly because we were talking about authenticity and, and specifically this, this kind of goes into the exact same thing that Andrew was just talking about because it's through reflecting on the past in the moment that we do gain some authenticity. We can come to terms with ourselves. We can actually be honest with ourselves about our own lives. I know I had a number of let's say blind spots. I had several years of blind spots in my childhood that I couldn't deal with for the longest time. And it's because I couldn't reflect on those periods. I was too involved telling myself narrative that ripped away all of my value and all of my worthiness. And just, I didn't want to go into it because why would I want to feel worse? Right. And so I never, I never reflected and I was never able to see those blind spots until years later, working with people, talking with people, reminding them like, you know, none of that defines you. You don't have to carry this around that all of a sudden I heard myself for the thousandth time and went, oh, and all of a sudden the memory popped up that I had blocked out for years. And because I had that grounding, because I had taken the moments when they popped up to deal with the smaller little memories on the way, I wasn't so knocked off my, my balance because of it. I was able to actually reflect on it and let it process and then let it go. And then that led to another moment later on and another memory that I had blocked out and another one and another one and another one. But it was up and it wasn't until I was able to be honest about the fact that what had happened to me didn't define me. It didn't mean anything about me. It was just something that I experienced, something that I was a part of in terms of it being an experience. And then of course, as soon as you remove yourself from being the victim of all of that, well, then you start to realize that everybody involved was a victim of that. Everybody involved with that had some degree of trauma, even going into it, even the people who were abusing you. like. I think one of the most freeing moments of my life was to be able to look back at my abuse and actually feel empathy for the abuser to actually say, Jesus, what did their parents do to them? Right. To look at the society that they grew up in, look at the town that they grew up in, to look at all of those influences and realize that they were scared and confused and trying to, to lash out or trying to define themselves or find value. And what was the easiest way to do that through some kid who couldn't defend himself and didn't know better. Damn, thank you for sharing. I think this is this is a perfect example, I guess, of what I was trying to touch on. And Dr. Kapoor Mate, if you guys are familiar with his work, he talks a lot about this. And I've become a big, I mean, I've been a big fan for a few years, like reading his books and and like in the realm of hungry ghosts, which tackles a lot of like the I'm from like the west coast of Canada. I think you are too, Ray. And yeah, and we have a just a very very sad situation that's occurred in the downtown east side and he talks about it in this very almost blunt empathy which was this like you said this willingness to see the truth of the situation which is like not to ruin the book but at the end it's like most of them are not going to become free from their addictions these are not individuals of which they just need a 12-step program go to rehab no no they are beyond that but they are also not to blame in the sense, and we have to regard some degree of empathy and compassion because it's the intergenerational trauma that they've uh, been handed down. People are not, well, at least this is all from Dr. Gabor Mate. People are, are not predisposed to become addicts. Addiction is not passed down. Pain is passed down through us. We are obviously the messengers of that pain. And it is when we have that pain, we serve for escape. And when we want to escape our pain, of course, drugs serve is an easy and accessible tool to do that. And I can recognize that in my own life from a much different level of trauma, not to compare, but on the extreme side of it, 
that is what is happening when we are passed down, when pain is passed down through us and when it is not processed in childhood. And sometimes there's certain pain that is just so pronounced, so great that I don't think humans are capable of really dealing with it. Like one of the saddest stories was a daughter uh, who she was like nine. Her mom was a, a, a prostitute and would not only sell herself out, but it started selling her daughter out uh, to like, you know, strangers, imagine that. And now this woman is a, a heroin addict on the streets of downtown Vancouver. And the doctor, Dr. Bormante's point is kind of to show, look, firstly, the, the pain and the trauma that they felt is insurmountable. And we're, and we're not going to be able to get through that necessarily now because they are full-blown adults with full-blown addictions. But I hope that we can all be a part of a culture an emerging culture that encourages us, whatever our, de our degrees of trauma may be, to recognize that we are not simply depressed, we're not simply addicts, we're not, I'm not, the labeling thing does not empower anybody to, to process anything. But what does empower us is to recognize the true mechanisms by which these uh, processes unfold. People don't become addicts overnight, they don't become homeless overnight. It's one pain that is recurrent pain that is never accessed, never uh, processed, it will manifest in the worst outcomes for us in our lives. And I hope that we can be a part of us and everyone else can be a part of the new culture where we talk about the fact that the pain that we experienced was real, but it doesn't have to define us. The moment that that thing, we allow it to define us, I'm sorry, but we've become victims and this world doesn't need more victim complexes. We have plenty of them. And I think, I think we're all ready. I think I'm ready to move past the victim complex that has become huge in Western culture, that has become almost a, a round of applause for us all to, to embrace our victim identities. That's, there's nothing to be proud of to be identified as a victim. What I'm proud of is to see you overcome a victimization, an experience of victimization, and recognize that in this moment, it doesn't have to define you, that in this moment, we have the capacity to sit with our emotions wholeheartedly and be men, be, be women, be adults, be guides of the future, be, you know, be harbingers of truth, be confident in what we have and what we don't have. I just, and, and that's why I thank you, Ray, for sharing, because the truth is, yeah, like, we don't, it's not easy to acknowledge, it's not easy to recognize things, and I'm not asking of myself or anyone to deal with it overnight, but we have to be able to sit presently with our emotions and with our trauma, and also have the humility to see, when we see other people, that we so easily want to judge as, oh, he's just lazy. He's just a drug addict. He's just, no, it's very likely that they are just a carrier of pain. And that pain is very, very real. And if we're not willing to have empathy for the processes of which that pain came about, and we just simply stick to a culture of treating symptoms and labeling, we're not going to heal. We're not going to heal collectively. And, and any hope I have of, you know, being part of a hopefully emerging, new emergent culture is it's not going to be real, realized in any meaningful way. I wanted to go back to something you were saying there quickly, just because it's true that, that typically we look at people who are addicts or people who are homeless, and we make assumptions about them not recognizing the historical trauma that led to that. But on the flip side, and this is something that I'm still wrestling with to some degree, um, the situation that they're in is also caused by trauma on the other side of the coin, because while trauma can lead to addiction, that is usually true in a lower socioeconomic status. Trauma leads to greed in a higher socioeconomic status. And so 
all these people buying up numerous houses and charging giant rents for them, all these people who are out there raising their prices or trying to make the most off of the backs of everybody else, that's all trauma-enforced too. All of that lack that they're acting out, all that need for more, that need for status, that need to, to build themselves up, that's all trauma. So you think about the fact that the people on that spectrum are acting out their trauma and their trauma is impacting the people on the other side of the spectrum. So we're all making assumptions about one another, whether you're poor assuming about rich or rich assuming about poor. Oh, they're better off. Are they? Do you know that? Just because they have more stuff doesn't mean they're better off. Doesn't mean that they can get to sleep any easier at night, right? Like just in the same way that a poor person might be jonesing out for another hit, a rich, a rich person might be jonesing out for another car, the newest car, the one that his neighbor doesn't have right? Like it gets to the point where it is its own punishment. We are going through this all, all of us are going through this to some degree, the sins of the father passed to the son. We forget that we've constantly been traumatized through our entire history. We talked about this in, um, in an episode previously about how the indigenous population, especially here in British Columbia and all over North America, um, have gone through just ridiculous amounts of trauma over the last 500 years, just generational trauma upon trauma upon trauma to the point where that mentality that they originally embodied is all but have been destroyed and they're trying to reach back and and bring it back to the to the world that we live in now but often even from their perspective they will look at the society around them that oppressed them they will look at the people who are in charge of that society and they will go ah you know it's just white people not recognizing that europeans were colonized europeans were conquered by rome we also suffered generational trauma so much to the point that we went through hundreds of years of monarchy and serfdom. There was slavery. We went through all of that as well. And we got driven so crazy to the point where we literally fled across the ocean, met a bunch of other people who weren't causing shit and didn't have the clarity to go, can we join you? Instead, all we could see was what we needed and nothing else. And so we wiped them out but it's all historical trauma. And it's all reinforced by this ego, this idea of who we are. That's all it is because if we could question who we are, we could realize that nobody's who we think they are and we can actually have a conversation and discover one another. But most of the time, we're just talking to our image of somebody. Even in a relationship, even in a marriage, this is something that's super important. And I know I've been married for 18 years. You can't ever look at your partner and think that they are who you think they are. They're always something different. They're changing like you are. They're not the person they were yesterday. And if you expect them to be, you're going to get in an argument, right? You're always changing. That's where we relate. That's where there's connection. That's where there's something we can grow upon. But labels, they all reinforce that shit. Rich, poor, addict, it doesn't matter. It just forms a concept. And then we run on assumptions and nobody's talking to one another. I'm going to pass this back to Andrew quickly. Yeah, I had some stuff come come back to me. Um, but yeah, regarding the assumptions and the victim identity, it makes me wonder with, we've talked about this with the balance of things and you know, with, with suffering and reality and how much our mental suffering or, or the physical suffering in reality is a reflection of all of the mental suffering. And you know, we see it in, say, a third world country experiences more physical suffering, less mental suffering. First world countries experience more mental suffering, less physical suffering. And there's always sort of that balance. And it's all... And, and the perpetuated experience of it is based on our assumptions of, you know, the other. And could it be that just the root is 
other that that because we see other and and make all these assumptions it's like we're forced to make assumptions because we perceive division and therefore in order to keep our selves alive as something that's separate from reality we have to see other people and in order to see other people we have to make assumptions because we have to create ideas of what they are so could it be that the suffering we experience or, or the victim identity that we become so accustomed to isn't in almost perfect balance on one end or the other and it's interesting how with our societal mentality of you know taking the ego to be the truth taking our, the perception of division to be the truth that this this victimhood has become like our default sort of network and it's not to let go of the victimhood it's like that side suffering so much but like look how much i've suffered you know i suffer because i go through this and and this isn't fair because you know, I look like this and therefore people make assumptions of me and, and I don't get these same privileges because I haven't been oppressed in the past. And, and now these people are getting made up for it. And it's like, we're always striving for like, I'm more of a victim than, than you, or I'm as much of a victim as you, instead of being able to face it for what it is, but that comes down to responsibility as well. And I know Nino, this is something you've talked about quite a bit is, is being able to take responsibility for yourself and victimhood is like the antithesis of responsibility. And so I wanted to talk about this idea because this is something we bring up quite a bit and talk about quite a bit is like you you're responsible for you and that's always what it comes down to and and you're not inherently responsible for anyone else and the more we see ourselves as reality the more we're able to recognize the responsibility that we have for ourselves and not for everything else but as we let go of that perception of division we see that the responsibility for ourselves is reflected in the whole because we do see ourselves as you know the entire ocean in a drop as as reality just experiencing itself and and the only thing we ever have some semblance of or more of a semblance of influence over is our reality and and how we act and our perception and how we see things and how we're able to let go of things but as we let go of things reality lets go of things because there is no division and so letting go of that taking responsibility for our experience has sig significantly more impact than continuing to push ourselves as the victim that only reinforces the division and separates us from everyone else. And with victimhood comes a lack of empathy because you know we're something that is a victim. And if we're a victim, then we see ourselves as you know more of a victim than other things inherently, as opposed to you know, being able to see ourselves and everything and, and sort of have that empathy. So as we let go of the victim mentality, it's like the responsibility comes up more and, but we have to be willing to let go of that victim mentality in order to be able to see things for what they are and, and face that responsibility head on, which happens now because change happens now, because as Alan Watts so eloquently put, the present dictates the past, the past does not dictate the present. Dude, it's funny. It's essentially, well, first your whole description is you're like touching on what is the evolution of consciousness of self? Well, it's exactly what you said. It's like that process that you so eloquently described, that is the, at least in psychological sense, that is the, un, that is the consciousness arising in humanity, in the homo sapien. It has to happen. It has to, and then the homo sapien evolution, revolution to, to come to a full unity one day, hopefully. It has to first see itself as separate. Oh my goodness. Look at me. I'm separate. 
hopefully the evolution that we're moving towards is coming back to, oh, no, I'm not. I was never separate. Unfortunately, the paradigms of language, which are fun, language is fun when you take it for what it is. It's a tool for us to express and make art and to make fun narrative stories that can be value-laden and teach us things because that's how humans learn. We don't really learn from people telling us what to do. I've never fucking learned that way. I learned pretty much from mistakes and from movies and stories because I was I was a passion by these stories or even from my dad's like life stories. I learned from that, but I never learned from people telling me things. In addition, when it comes to how we get stuck in the language paradigm, a victim implies an oppressor. It's a very type of, it's the kind of language that has division in the very core of its theme. You have a victim, well, then you must have an oppressor. You have something, you must have nothing. It's okay. A lot of our language, unfortunately, does work within a kind of dualistic paradigm. That's fine, unless your whole culture is now suggesting that, what, the whole, this subsection of the world, of our population, are victims? You're telling me I'm a victim because I'm a... Well, because I'm a bisexual immigrant from Colombia. Ooh, that, ooh, I'm an immigrant. That's not good. This is not healthy for the psychology of the human. What it does is, firstly, it teaches people that mm, oh, my worth is lower. You're actually telling them that. You don't see it on the surface because there's all this empathy parade going, we're recognizing your victimization. You victim, you self, you sorry victim. Your life is, that's the subtext, really. You know, you know there's no empowering narrative of calling everybody a victim. But uh, not everyone has figured that out yet. People will. So you keep telling everybody they're a victim and you're, oh, you're doing this for the betterment of them. But you're really, you're isolating them in this framework that, well, especially if I'm a kid, right? I'm going, well, I'm a victim of who? Well, someone must be oppressing me. And of course, the media is going to give you a very shallow surface level entrance or some, as you call them, snake oil salesmen are going to tell you something like, all white people are complicit in racism, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter what they do. Their actions are always going to be racist. And I go, well, okay, I guess I have to listen to this person because they have a PhD and that's a label that I'm going to attach an incredulous amount of weight to instead of recognizing that person can still be a flawed idiot even if they have a PhD and they can still spread divisive ideology that does nothing to actually genuinely connect us or really educate anybody. But viewing this how to be anti-racist, I don't care for these individuals. I see them as dangerous, dangerous cultural figures in this world. Um, I don't wouldn't even care to say their name. But that is what we've done with this victim complex that has arisen through these snake oil salesmen who continue to sell young people who genuinely might feel some kind of real oppressive instances in their life. That's not to deny that. There are moments of injustice, of prejudice, of racism that happens. But when you sell them that as their narrative identity, they're going to get wrapped up in that. And it's very, very hard, I think, for us to go on these journeys of spiritual fulfillment and letting go of ego and recognizing unity. When I've just been brainwashed for the last 10 years being told that I'm, I'm a victim of a systemic oppressive system that does everything in its power to make people like me, even though, what, what does that mean? People like me, you know, people like me less than. Ironically, it's the very ideology that teaches young people that they live in an oppressive system that oppresses them. Isn't that the joke, huh? The very language that we use can either imprison us or it can free us, right? But of course, it's always, and this is, it's always on the extremes. You don't see this in the center, but it's the extreme left and the extreme right, of which I do not belong to either. I'm sorry if you guys get in, in trouble in a political sense. I don't know where the hell you guys like politically, but I say to both, 
thank you, but no thank you. Neither of you have any true solutions or any true value. I'm glad that you sound nice on the outside. I don't love you much anyways, but both sides fail to really come to any true value. One spews you a, a very nice narrative, which empowers a few people, but really just pisses them off and divides everyone else. And it's, it's really a subversive attempt by minorities who are resentful to hopefully shift the power so that they can now be prejudiced and hateful, which is crazy because I thought we were trying to undo prejudice and hate, hate, but I guess some people just are so mad that it was done to them that they just want to do it to somebody else. It's, not, it's almost like the exact same process on a large scale that happened with, with the Europeans. They were abused, they were misused, and now they came and they said, I'm going to abuse and misuse you. It's the same thing that happened with the Native American communities, and now it's the same thing that's happening now on a cultural level. It seems like we're all a bunch of hurt people who want to hurt people. And that's why I said what I try to talk to my audience on an individual level is, hey, guys, who hurt us? It's my mom, my dad, my first girlfriend, my friends. Okay, how'd they hurt you? Let's just have those conversations because I bet I'm going to connect with you and hopefully help me and you in this process, you know, figure something out. Heal. I don't think I'm going to ever get anywhere or like we're ever going to get anywhere collectively as a culture tackling like big ideas like politics and religion. I go, eh, these already exist within a subservient system that already serves to only like reproduce itself. The very paradigm in which it exists, it can never. It doesn't question itself. It doesn't question its own existence. So let's focus back one-on-one. -on -one. This is the place where I can hopefully see the humanity of, and I don't care what you identify as, what you don't identify as, you know, I bet you there's a human in there. And if there's not, well, I'm talking to my dog and I've gone smoke too much pot. So, you know, like we just I've have, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the whole victim complex, I think it's a, I'm a bit of a crazy person. It seems a little bit of a intentional effort sometimes. Like it's at least it must be the most misguided attempt to help minorities and to help people who need help. It's like, yes, let's teach them through the very language that they are less than other people. And let's teach them that they should be angry and bitter about this. And that the best way to move forward is to now create systems that now actively oppress the person who oppressed us. It's like, what? Yeah, it, it's a tricky one though, right? Because so here we have people who have legitimately been victimized. We have people who have legitimately been hurt and oppressed. So we can't just go to them and say, hey, buck up, you know, everything's going to be fine. Just turn the other cheek as it were. We can't do that because they have a valid reason to be hurt. They have a valid reason to express the pain that they're, that they're going through. So in order for us to deal with that, we have to accept the pain that they're going through and accept the reasons that they're going through that pain, which means that we have to take it upon ourselves to look at our system for what it is and what it perpetuates, which means we have to change. We've already lost 90% of the audience just in that, that thought process right there. It's like, we have to change, bye, and we're out. And, and that's the problem is that we're not able to relate to the people who have been hurt because we would have to accept that we're still benefiting from the system that hurt them. And that's not on us. That doesn't mean we're at fault here. I had somebody recently call me a colonizer and I just laughed because I don't want to be here. This isn't my system. I didn't make this. I was born into it without my choice. So I've been colonized as much as anyone else, right? I was born into this. I wasn't even given a glimpse of a world before colonization. And, and so we all have to come together and realize that jointly, 
we're all getting boned. All of us by a system that is only meant to perpetuate itself at the cost of everything else. Everything else. That's the weirdest part about our economy is the fact that we have to borrow money from the Federal Reserve and the central banks at interest. So all of the money in existence is borrowed from the Federal Reserve at interest. Where the fuck does the interest come from if all of the money in the world is borrowed from the Fed? It doesn't exist. We have to borrow more money to pay the interest, which means we have to borrow more money to pay more interest. So it's, a, it's literally a machine that's never meant to be satisfied in the same way as our ego is never meant to be satisfied. And so we can't tackle these big problems with global governance because they're not the problem. The problem is us. The problem is our identity. The problem is that we keep dividing lines between all of us and that we get kind of sucked into these systems of historic thought, assuming that's just the way the world is. Perfect example. And, and I always find this funny because often, especially teenagers, when you explain to them that 100 years ago, you didn't need a driver's license, and they look at you and go, what? Like, yeah, because like 100 years ago, there weren't really any cars. And I'm like, what? And then they're just like, what do you mean? And there's no, I, there's no recognition that the world has changed so dramatically and so quickly, right? And, and so we just kind of assume this is the way things are, and we don't question them. And that's the only problem. And so this is why if the system has an enemy, if the system has one threat, it's questioning. That's all it is. People questioning themselves, people questioning the system, people questioning the rules, people questioning who's in charge of the system, pe people questioning everything, because that's the one thing that will obliterate all of this. It's not fighting it. Fighting it won't take the system down. It's fully prepared for the fight. Right? It wants you to react because it knows how to handle you then. It can make you into a villain. It can put you behind bars. It can paint an entire campaign in the media about how you are a bad, terrible person. And it's got you, but it cannot stand a group of people asking questions without reacting, without going into a fight. People just looking at the system and saying, no, thank you. I'm not going to participate until you can explain to me damn clearly why I should. And that's really it. If we can get into that mindset, all of us, a little bit at a time, that's all that's required. And we will watch the foundation of this castle start to fall. The sand will start to slip and all the bricks will fall away because it's built on an illusion. If we, it's like uh, the US economy or any economy, really, none of those dollar bills are worth anything. They're just paper. They're not worth anything except by agreement. We all agree. They have value, and so they do. That's how much power we have. But we don't recognize it because we're so busy running from the stick or chasing the carrot that we don't recognize both the stick and the carrot only exist because we give them power. Absolutely. Yeah, problems of the mind can't be solved on the level of the mind or the same level of the mind they were created on. Is that, is that an Einstein quote? Okay. Cool. Yeah, I just wanted to wanted to make sure. But yeah, it comes in. And before I get into this, uh, Nino, you'd be a fantastic coach, dude, like doing one on one stuff. Like, yeah, just based on this conversation we've had, like, yeah, you should you should start looking into that. And I'll write you, you a know. testimonial for sure. <laughs> yeah, Thank you, guys. Sure. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so much of this comes down to the nuance and the understanding of fault versus responsibility and the differences between them, because 
we so often and so quickly like to point fault at everyone besides ourselves, right? Because we don't want to take responsibility, but it's no one's fault because you can trace that back to as far back as, you know, for all of eternity it can be traced back when you start looking at like, oh, this belief that the present dictates the past, present dictates, or the past dictates the present, the past dictates the present. And, and oh, it's not my fault because this person hurt me. And well, okay, but it's not their fault because that person hurt them and, and that person hurt them and that person hurt them and that person hurt them. And that entire process of that is all rooted in, in ego. It's all related to it because it's all based on ideas and, and concepts and stories that we tell ourselves to, you know, reinforce that I'm correct. And, and if I'm correct, then I don't have to look at things for what they are. I don't have to see things as they are right now. I don't have to take responsibility for the way that I am because I can just rely on all these stories and all these narratives and all these things that have always perpetuated everything for all of our existence. And that's what we so often avoid because it's not easy to look at that. It's not easy to face things, but that's the process of, of getting better as opposed to just feeling better, you know, being able to push things off and, and say, Oh, it's their fault helps you feel better. It builds up that, that idea of yourself. Oh, I'm not wrong. They're, they're wrong. And therefore I'm right. And that feels good. Like we're so often so caught up in just trying to feel better. It's such a shallow way of, I don't know, existing. And it's not to say that there's anything wrong with feeling good a lot of the time. Like oftentimes when you start to take more responsibility in your life, you do feel good, but it's not that shallow, better feeling. It's through like, oh, I'm facing this. I'm building some faith in myself. I'm taking responsibility for you know these things that are happening right now. In reality, I'm able to look at things for what they are and, and being able to see that that's where the change happens. And that how that's how things begin to shift. But it's not going to be through pointing the finger at anyone but ourselves and being willing to do that. But with that, we have to be willing to let go of that idea of ourselves. Like that's one of the tougher parts, because the idea of ourselves comes with our beliefs, our narratives, our stories, our, our thoughts of you know, I have this opinion about this. It's like, we have to be willing to let go of all of that. We have to be willing, Ray just mentioned, to question everything. And, and Nino has mentioned multiple times on this, to be able to question everything we believe to be true. You know, I can, I can go on a whole spiel and then be like, yeah, but I have no fucking idea because I have to be willing to let go of that idea of myself as being something that is right. So it always, 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 always comes back to us, comes back to the conversation that we're having, comes back to the experience we're having in the moment. But we get so caught up in like our entire society gets so caught up in these grand ideas. And it's like, oh, we have big problems and therefore we need big solutions. And it's like, yeah, but those are still just like concepts and ideas that we're holding onto that sound great on paper. They really do. But like, when have they ever functionally worked in, in any way besides just perpetuating a system that's always been broken? And we keep like plugging it along because we keep holding on to this idea that, oh, it's everyone's fault, but mine. And like, we have to be willing to look at that because we are the whole and we have to be willing that, to see that like we are reality, we are the world. So the only thing we ever, ever have to do to change the world is change ourselves when it comes down to it. But it's, it's not through changing anyone or anything outside of what is here and now outside of ourselves, outside of anything that we've ever experienced besides this reality right now. This is why I love, I love when I meet people who are suffering. And I mean this with, uh, with, you know, with nuance here. 
I never want to help people that I see about to hit rock bottom. I'm like, whoa, 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 that's the best thing for them. Because I know myself, I was such a prideful 18-year-old kid. I really believed I had myself figured out. Like, oh, I knew who this was. And you couldn't, I could question it, but I was never going to dismantle it. I was never going to let go of it until I came crashing down. And sometimes I think that's sometimes when I like, when I see a big jump, like what you just said, we seem to make people feel good. Oh no, they're feeling bad. I'm like, whoa, whoa, stop, stop. There's so much wisdom in allowing this person to keep feeling terrible. In fact, let them hit the bottom. What? Why? Because when you finally come crashing down, you might just have the humility to recognize maybe the way that you were currently conceptualizing your existence, your being, and yourself was flawed. And I, and I have to have a degree of, I don't, and I have some passion around this because in my life, I, I look back on my life and I'm like, if it hadn't been for me looking at who I was at the mirror and honestly kind of hating everything about who I'd created, I wouldn't have been willing to acknowledge that, okay, you know what? I'm willing to let go. I'm willing to surrender to something a little bit greater. I'm willing to admit maybe, maybe there is some power greater than me. Maybe I don't have all the answers. And I, and I think, Andrew, that's what's funny where you touched on. It's like sometimes our culture that consistently, and it's very Brave New World-esque, that consistently just wants to make people feel good on the surface, you know, not actually getting to the root of their suffering, but let's just make sure they feel good enough. Oh no, you're sad. Here's a pill. Oh no, you're not feeling great. Here's this. Uh, it, it's, it's pulling people away from rock bottom. And I see rock bottom, not as a bottom. I see it as this beautiful abyss from which when we jump into, we'll actually find the greatest thing, right? The thing that was greater than us at all times, the awareness that we always were, that beautiful truth that I think, us three have come to find, so to speak. And it's not, it was never to be found. It was always there. That's the big joke, right? But uh, yeah, yeah, fuck, yeah, man. Absolutely. We just, we got to stop trying to feel good all the time. Well, it's funny because I, I had, well, again, the, the conversations I had this week with those coaches was very much along this line. And one of them in particular was mentioning that he's always worried about losing his clients. And so he always tells them what they want to hear. And the problem with that is that that's actually hindering their growth. And after a certain point, they're going to feel that and they're going to leave. So one way or another, you're going to lose that client. So you may as well be honest and say, hey, you're, you could get more out of this if you just worked a little harder. You could say that thing that's going to upset them just a little bit, but say it from a place where they know that you are thinking about their best interest. That's the important part with any coach. It's not about knowing the right thing to say. It's about the connection, which means it's about you being vulnerable, which means it's about you being authentic because that's what people are looking for. They're not just looking for a coach to help them get in shape. They're looking for a coach to help them get in shape and feel good about themselves because getting in shape won't make you feel good about yourself for long if you're using it as a source of value because there will always be somebody else who's in better shape or you'll always be in danger of losing the shape that you're in. And so you're always going to be in fear or you're always going to be chasing. But if you can find a coach that says, hey, let's work out because it's fun. It feels good while we do it. And it gives us a chance to process all of those doubts that we went through yesterday habitually. That coach is in your corner. They're not just trying to sell you a package. They're not just trying to sell you an end result. They're in relationship with you based on their own experience in that moment. Totally different in terms of its impact. It's just about being there. But in order to be there, you have to be honest. And in order to be honest, sometimes you have to be the villain, right? And I 
I'm very enthusiastic about that. And, and admittedly, that's just because I had so many villains in my lifetime that I learned to kind of respect where they came from. And it's not necessarily because they treated me well, but because the point of view that they had was that pain you're complaining about. Yeah, it's nothing. And at the time that sucked to hear because you're like, you're invalidating my pain. But what they're telling you is I've been here for 50 years. Buckle up. There's more coming. Right? And that is an honest response that in my teenage years, I did not want to hear. I did not want to hear that. I wanted to hear, oh, that's terrible. Your pain is special. It's not like anybody else's pain. That's, that's a, it's a terrible thing that you're going through. But instead, they looked at me and they're like, yeah, yeah that's going to happen. And that was very unsatisfying. But that's what would have grounded me. That's what would have prepared me for what was coming ahead of me. Instead of everybody around me going, oh, you just got to put a smile on your face. Just got to raise your attitude up. You know, it's like, but that's just faking it. That's not doing anything. I, it would be better if you taught me how to be miserable and not let it get to me. Like that would be a lot more useful if I could figure out how to go through a traumatic memory without it putting me on the floor in the fetal position. That's a skill. Whereas just covering it up is only gonna last for so long, right? And so we have to get out of this, this habit of looking at it like, it's bad, let's avoid it. It's not bad. It's, it's not that it's bad, it's, it sucked. Don't get me wrong. Trauma sucks, I'm never gonna say trauma doesn't suck. Trauma sucks, for sure. But out the other side of that suck is strength, right? And it's just getting through it, but we can't get through it if we're always vilifying it. And, and you're right, the big part of that is, feeling bad for victims instead of just feeling for victims. There's such a big difference between sympathy and empathy, right? And I think that's the thing is that we have to recognize that, and again, we're all getting boned by this system. Then we can relate to one another. Yeah, absolutely. It's like uh, sympathy is caught up in the illusion of division and empathy is through the recognition of unity more so and being able to see yourself as opposed to just being able to see other and, and imagine what it's like. But yeah, with, uh, with the recognition that you're never alone and like what you've experienced isn't isn't a new thing or a or a, a unique experience i think that was actually super helpful for me going through a lot of the suffering and pain and you know whatever i've been through in my life be call it trauma call it whatever you want is recognizing that i'm not the first one to ever go through it and i'm not and most of the people who've gone through it have gotten it and like been able to experience it and come out the other side. Like so often we get caught up because we're so caught up in the idea of ourselves as seeing ourselves as, as completely separate from everything and, and everyone and being, you know, having this very unique experience that no one else has ever experienced and no one else would ever understand because I'm experiencing it and you wouldn't get it because this is my experience and my suffering and my trauma. And, and we're really not so different at the end of the day, we're not different. We're, I, I guess different is, is a different word than divided. We're not divided at all, but different is comes down to our perception. But I think being able to see and recognize that what you've been through isn't necessarily unique to you in the way that you keep holding on to and, and keep reinforcing to yourself and being able to recognize that, oh, other people have been through this or, or at least something incredibly similar, if not almost the same exact type of experience and being able to see that and see that they got through it almost gives you a sense of, of clarity. And I don't want to say hope, but ability to 
see other options in that moment and, and recognize that it isn't something that you have to necessarily hold on to for your entire life. Because even with those negative things, we still in the egoic mindset, see that as a place of, of value. And, and in our uniqueness, we see sort of like an unworthy worthiness. Like it reinforces to ourselves that we are something that's special, I guess is a better word. Like feeling special could be on the end of having a super positive idea of yourself or a super negative idea of yourself. And so through, through the questioning, through the recognition that, oh, I don't have to keep telling myself the story. Oh, I have inherent specialness that, that doesn't need a narrative to reinforce and, and to be able to recognize. And, and through that you can let go, but it's through, you know, seeing that inherent value in yourself, as opposed to needing to continue to tell yourself a story and being able to recognize that, that story you tell yourself, be it super positive or super negative is never going to be the truth because as long as you're holding on to the story, it's always going to be able to be impacted by anyone or anything that comes along and tells you a different one or tells you one that contradicts it because in that you're, you're in, uh, in contention and in disagreement, I guess. And what is, uh, right. What's the quote by Krishnamurti? There is no, there's no conflict without I, and I've been chewing on that one a little bit because it's, it's fascinating. Like I is essentially the idea of ourselves or the story that we tell ourselves and, and with, out so much of that, there's no longer the conflict. And, and without that conflict, there's, you know, the ability to recognize ourselves in everyone and everything. And, and through that is, is empathy. There we go. Yeah. I've been getting into Krishna Murti recently and I've been fucking loving it. I'm listening to his, uh, talks with, uh, Alan, is it Alan Anderson, Dr. Alan Anderson right now? And yeah, really, really enjoying him. A lot of good shit there. <laughs> That's so cute, though, on some level. When we like analyze people, we kind of step outside of ourselves. We're like, oh, look at all these people. They're just like kids and they're like hurt. And they just like need to be told that like, they want to be told that their pain is special. But they're just so cute because they were always special. They didn't need to tell themselves that the pain made them special or that it was a unique experience of the pain that made it special. They were all special. It's just humans were a little bit selfish because we're like, but I want to be only special. I wanted to be special by myself. And that's, again, that's, that's the human condition. It's so much fun when we can take a step back and have empathy and kind of play with this thing that we're given and hopefully, you know, help other people if we can, you know, be of service unto others. But I always, I always can't help but find a bit of humor when I see like the global context. I'm like, huh, a bunch of kids. Everyone's just like hurt and reenacting their trauma. Everyone just wants everyone just wants their dad to be proud of them, and they want their mom to love them unconditionally. And again, use those terms loosely. I know we have, you know, there's people are homosexuals, people are of everything. You know, it's all good. But the point is, we're literally kids trying to find our families in a world where we feel isolated and disconnected, and we're too caught up, we're too divided to recognize. We are all the family. We are all the opportunity to connect with oneself and feel that specialness that you want. But instead, to use some language from Eckhart Tolle, we're being stuck in the pain body we're, and we're embracing every narrative that helps us feel hurt because right now our ego is still so attached to feeling special in our pain that we're unwilling to recognize that, hey, you know what? I bet you if I reach across the aisle, that figurative aisle, I bet you that person has felt the exact same kind of pain. It's not my story. My story is mine. Their story is theirs. 
but damn, they know what it is to lose. They know what it is to love. They know what it is to want. They know what it is to just want to feel connected to one community. Maybe they were hurt by their mom. Maybe they were hurt by their dad. Maybe it wasn't either of them. Maybe it was rejection. The point of the day is that's just, a, it's a human. It's a child. It's a kid. And I always, obviously I push the child narrative, obviously within my name and whatever, because I see in myself how much of my how much of my failings in life have been a result of not acknowledging my own pain with reverence while also not getting caught in the kid's narrative because the kid is the first one to be bitter and explosive and mean. But if I don't listen to him, at least, if I don't at least go, hey, okay, come here. Tell me, tell me what they did. You know, they're on the playground. Who hurt you? If I don't at least listen, I'm not going to give the kid the opportunity and the space for me to go, okay, but do you see your role here? Do you see how your life isn't over at this moment? When you come to me and you tell me this person ruined your life, I'm so sorry that they hurt you, but your whole life is right here. It's ahead of you. It's everything that you ever could have. At the moment you get caught thinking that your life is over, well, that's, a, that's just illogical. It's not even real. That's not true. You know, I have to hold space for you here, but I also got to be willing to tell the kid you're thinking about this the wrong way, so to speak, or, or the way that you are continuing to serve your pain is not gonna, is not doing you justice, so to speak. And if there are people on this planet, and I've met them, who are caught in their pain, who I don't believe, I, I don't believe a simple conversation is going to be what pulls them out of those narratives. They are very entrenched in those narratives. So that's why me being the masochist, this crazy, chaotic person I am, Sometimes I think a little bit of suffering is a good thing. And I, to go to what Andrew said, yes, sometimes what will make somebody an addict on one end of the spectrum is actually what makes someone an extremely resilient person on the other. I think there's a weird thing about the human condition. We don't celebrate people who've never been through adversity. Like that's not, we, we don't really give a shit. Like, oh, wow, you, Donald Trump, you were given lots of money and you made a little bit of money. Cool. You know, I mean, some media pushes that, but most of us, I don't think, see a lot of cunning in that. But David Goggins, on the other hand, a figure who, wow, experienced like true like racism and prejudice and discrimination and like, you know, weight challenges, mental health, now goes online and Gogan shares his story. And his narrative is not one of serving his pain to feel unique or special. It's to go, shut up, bitch. I'm going to fuck up on my pain. I'm going to go run like 50 miles because I can't like. The guy's attitude, obviously, he's an extreme human, and I love the guy. He's funny. He's playing his role, so to speak, but he is an ultramarathon runner who goes on to give motivational talks, who was unwilling to victimize himself. He was always unwilling to fall into the, a narrative that, that would have served his pain. Instead, he said, this is real. This is real. And as humans, we have this crazy thing called the, tr the power of transmutation. I believe it's what makes us God, so to speak, in, in, the, in the human world. It's you can take things and you can use them to fuel you. You can take real pain and trauma and you can actually use those experiences to drive your desire to help people, to drive you to push your body and run as far as you do. That guy clearly has a lot of trauma. I mean, he's running ultra marathons in, in his shorts or whatever, like, you know, little booty shorts. But the point is, he's an extreme example that when we, when we don't allow our victimization to become the narrative structure that you know, fulfills our destiny. And instead, we can literally create any narrative we want in this moment, if we, if, if so be it, and use the experiences of the past, because, you know, they happened, 
you can reframe everything in your mind. You have the power as the creator, as you, to do that. And you don't have to get caught into a narrative that serves you in a unique desire to feel special as the kid you are, while also, you know, validating your pain. There is a nuance here where you can validate the pain and then use it. You don't have to ignore it. We don't have to suppress it. We don't have to, you know, cover it up with flowers and rainbows because that also doesn't serve you ultimately in the end. And I hope, you know, I hope that with conversations like this, we can all kind of look at ourselves and have the humility to recognize, you know what? I have kind of been a little bitch lately. Like, at least for me, this is how I talk to myself. Not everybody needs to practice my self-talk, but you know what? That's kind of crazy. I have a lot of things to be grateful for. I have a lot of amazing things in my life in this moment. And I have been ungrateful of them because I think sometimes it's actually easier to sit in my pain, which is ironic because you would assume from the outside it's harder. But sometimes when I sit and I feel bad, it's giving me a purpose. My purpose now in this moment is simply to feel sorry for myself. There's a story, man. I'm the guy who suffers because <laughs> suffering is a part of life and I'm the one who suffers the most. And that's meaningful. That's purpose-driven. That's enough for me. But that's not actually going to help, help, so to speak. But hey, if you're the person who's in that moment, I hope rock bottom hits you hard. You know, I hope it's coming because hopefully that'll get you out of there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those things that you, unfortunately, the longer you avoid it, the harder it is to learn from. It's like trying to paint yeah. a picture without any paints. You have to have your experiences as your palette for everything that you do moving forward. And that that's where our power lies. And I wanted, we're going to have to wrap up here because we're coming up to the two hour mark very shortly. But I, I wanted to say something in regards to, to two things that you were talking about earlier, of course, when you were saying that uh, you don't know necessarily if you should be out there coaching or offering advice because you got to still deal with your own stuff and whatnot. And I, and I just wanted to say, I wouldn't want to go to a coach who wasn't still dealing with their stuff. And I mean that, like, I still deal with my stuff. And by, by deal with it, I mean, I enthusiastically stare it in the face because that's where I can at least come to terms with it. And I can act in awareness with it rather than being influenced by it. But it's always there. It's always there. It's not like it ever goes away. I'm aware of it. But because of that, that motivated me for a long, long time. All of my pain, all of my suffering, and then all of a sudden, this golden doorway that's like, you can leave. That just changed my life. And it made me want to talk to every other person who was going through hell and say, hey, there's a doorway. Whether you can see it or not. That all said, your unwillingness to be a snake oil salesman, the fact that you are reluctant to offer the advice that you so clearly see is what would make you a good coach. That is what would make you useful to someone else because you're not trying to get anything out of them. And that's what they're trying to find in themselves. And so I just wanted to say that as much as your past has been riddled with trauma and as much as your past has been riddled with pain and, and all of that narrative has combined itself to create an idea of you as something other than you are, I just want to remind you that everything you're about to be couldn't have happened without it. And you may not see what that is right now, but to someone like myself, who's older than you and has been on the path for a long, long time, I'm just going to say I'm very excited by everything that you're going to bring to the table for the rest of your life because of that reluctance, because of that willingness to question yourself, and because of your willingness to look at the pain and not run from it. 
because that's what we need to heal. We need to deal with the pain. If we just cover it up with a Band-Aid, it festers and it becomes a wound that we cannot heal. We have to look at it. And the act of looking at it gives it the energy it needs to heal. So we're all coming together in this collective healing. So we have to wrap up, but I'm gonna ask you a question before we go, and then I'll pass it off to Andrew after that. My question is, out of everything that you've gone through in your life, out of all the insights that you tend to rely on, and we've talked about a lot in this conversation, when you are in the moment and dealing with a habitual narrative, when you're thinking about yourself, what is your go-to tool or what is your go-to insight? Is it music? Is it a book? Is it sitting outside in nature? What is it that you use to draw your attention back to the moment and disempower that thought process? When I honestly, right now I'm actually doing it because when you were saying all that stuff about me, it made me uncomfortable because I was like, he doesn't know I'm, I'm really fucked up. He doesn't know that I'm so actually flawed. And I've got, I'm, I'm, he, he doesn't know. And I go, I take a breath. It's always been my breath. And in the breath, I find this kind of stillness, this awareness, this like kind of like almost shallow recognition. I'm like, oh, I'm just monkey, man. I am just, I get to experience monkey. I get, I'm, I get to be here. This is a great thing. Oh my goodness. This is all funny. Like this is all a game. There's like this humoristic thing that when I use my breath, I look at whatever problem or thing that was like gripping me. I remember oh yeah 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 you die you you die that's the that's the outcome like and i know this is crazy because a lot of people hate thinking about death but i love i love it i love going oh yeah 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 okay this is in the grand scheme aka in the scheme of what i'm gonna remember anyways of what i'm going to remember oh yeah i die at the end there is no like there's no like thing I'm working towards. If you think like that, you're going to be coming from a place of lacking, right? But if I can just use my breath, and that's always what I use. It's always my breath. And I just follow it. And then I come back and I kind of sit with this kind of, maybe it comes from the trauma of experience, but for me, I've now come to peace with a lot of those deaths and like losses. I'm like, oh yeah, they died. I die. Yeah, that was promised. Why do I keep... Why am I playing this games of life so seriously sometimes? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I need to remember. I can look at any person. You, him, Andrew, Ray. You're going to die? What, you, you think you're not? You think you're, ooh, you're going to upload your consciousness into the digital? Okay, look, if that gets there, that's cool. Fuck, but we're not there yet. I'm probably going to die. You're probably going to die. And sometimes for me, taking a breath and remembering the reality that the only outcome that was ever promised in this life was death. It allows me to kind of humble myself unto, oh, it's not my responsibility to like save the world. It's not my responsibility to even save myself. I don't need to be saved. That's crazy. What? Well, there's nothing to be saved. I need to, all I got to do is breathe. And it's like a very hippie kind of sentiment, almost a stoner sentiment. It's like, oh, dude, like if I just breathe, Oh, yeah this is the only thing that's real and i can i don't have to get caught up in here i don't have to get caught up in my insecurities or on my own lack of confidence at times although it seems like i have confidence in the stupidest things and i'm like you know thank you rain the things that i maybe should have more confidence regarding like you know helping people i'm like oh 
maybe the best I can do is just make videos online from a distance. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to presume too much about myself here, but thanks, man. I honestly, I really appreciate you saying all that because I think that's very sweet. And I, I am hoping you're right about the nature of, well, man, the kind of person that we want to be coaching and helping people is the kind of person who's so reluctant to believe they got it all figured out because the other guy is going to, is going to be the true snake oil salesman. Half of them, Hey, half of the snake oil salesmen, they believe they're actually selling something of value. That's, the, that's kind of the weird part about the whole thing. Uh, but yeah. Thanks My pleasure, man. Me. I don't give compliments. That's one thing you'll <laughs> notice, man. I don't, I never say something I don't mean. If I'm saying something, it's an observation. And, and you know, from the bottom of my heart, I'm looking forward to what happens in your future. We're going to pass this over to Andrew, who's going to wrap up the episode today. Nino, man, you've struck a, uh, a powerful balance. And as someone who dealt with a lot of intrusive thoughts about doing one-on-one stuff for a long time and eventually did, it's, it's really not what you think. Like you're going to fucking crush it as Ray, who's been doing them for, you know, two decades and me who's been doing it for like I don't know, seven months or so, like it's absolutely without a doubt, uh, guarantee I would say. And, and yeah, the balance is, is, you know, between your humor and your ability to take a concept that's very difficult to discuss and, and discuss it openly, being willing to look at the pain that you've experienced and, and utilize it, recognize that without it, you may not be where you're at today, but also not latch onto it, not identify with it, not hold onto it as a victim. It's, it's a very powerful balance being relentlessly unwilling to sell anyone, any type of bullshit while still being able to talk about all of the different things that you do. It's powerful. And as much as I said that we're not unique, we are unique and you have a, a unique ability to balance all of it. And I appreciate it very much that you're out there doing the things. And as Ray already said, and I'll echo now, I'm very excited to see where it all goes for you. And I'm excited to chat again, hopefully in the near future and and see where everything takes you. It's very exciting. And and I'm super grateful you were able to join us today because this is a very fun conversation, man. Thank you guys for having me. Happy Halloween. I mean, obviously this will come out another time, but this was recorded on Halloween. Thank you guys so much. You guys are awesome. These are two of like the guys who kind of got inspired me to feel confident enough to share my, my voice online, so to speak. And hopefully I can continue to have some degree of humility and comedy and, you know, passion that I currently hold. And I would love to hopefully one day have you guys on my podcast, where's the nuance where I try to really, like you guys said, let's jump into complex things, but let's have some freaking humility about these the reality that these things are complex they exist within context that is ever-changing it is not objectively existing in a vacuum the world we live in is contextual let's not forget it damn right damn right i've been really excited to have this conversation with you nino i'm glad that you could make it to the episode uh for everybody listening thank you for joining us uh there is one more episode coming up before the retreat so we will see you then for episode 19 have a lovely day bye everyone adios